Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 515th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest on this very special episode is a tremendously gifted singer-songwriter who is arguably the biggest pop star in the world, all at the age of just 20. But don't take my word for it. The New York Times has called her pop's brightest new hope, a modern and somewhat signature pop star, the promising new voice of her generation, and the most important new pop starlet of the last few years. USA Today has described her as a hero among Gen Z listeners, and Rolling Stone has labeled her one of pop's biggest, brightest, most fascinating, and most brilliant stars, an artist with her own voice who is definitely here to stay. She's managed to put together a -a one-of-a-kind catalog already. Both of her albums sound like other artists' greatest hits collections. With her 2021 breakout single, Driver's License, she became, at just 17, the youngest artist to debut a single at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And two other singles, Deja Vu and Good For You, also went to number one, staying there for eight weeks, two weeks, and one week, respectively. Both of her first two studio albums, 2021's Sour and 2023's Guts, went to number one on the Billboard 200. In 2023, she became just the 16th artist to simultaneously hold the number one spot on Billboard's three most important charts, the Hot 100, the 200, and the Artist 100. And she is a Grammys darling as well. In 2022, she was nominated for Best New Artist, Album of the Year and Best Pop Vocal Album for Sour, Record of the Year, Song of the Year and Best Pop Solo Performance for Driver's License, and Best Music Video for Good For You, ultimately winning Best New Artist, Best Pop Vocal for Sour, and Best Pop Solo Performance for Driver's License. And ahead of the Grammy ceremony that will take place on February 4th, 2024, she's nominated for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Pop Solo Performance for Vampire, Album of the Year and Best Pop Vocal Album for Guts, and Best Rock Song for Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl. Plus, on January 23rd, 2024, she may well pick up a Best Original Song Oscar nomination as well for the first tune that she has ever written for a film, Can't Catch Me Now, from The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I'm talking, of course, about the great Olivia Rodrigo. Over the course of our conversation at the L.A. offices of The Hollywood Reporter, Rodrigo and I discussed her path to performing and how acting gigs on Disney Channel TV shows ultimately led to a record deal and driver's license, what it was like creating and releasing her first album in the middle of a global pandemic and her second in the immediate aftermath of mega fame, how she approaches songwriting generally and how writing a song for a movie is different than writing one for herself, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Olivia, thank you so much for making the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, going to go back to the very, very beginning. Can you tell our listeners, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? Yeah, um, I was born in Temecula, California, which is about two hours out of L.A., um, and my mom is an elementary school teacher, and my dad is a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I was f- very nurtured growing <laughs> up. But uh, yeah, I um, I went to school. My mom was a teacher at the school that I went to, and uh, I was a child actor when I was young. I was very, um, very driven and really wanted to succeed in this acting world. And um, so my parents would drive me, you know, to LA and back like three times a week. And um, yeah, that was sort of my interesting upbringing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my parents are wonderful. 
Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, I was just reading Lenny Kravitz's new book about just it's, – it's even – it's sort of like pre-stardom, um, just forming who he was. And he was – obviously, uh, he's a biracial person and he said it. It was interesting. It wasn't until he was in school that that was something he was even aware of. <laughs> and I wonder because I understand your dad's Filipino-American. Your mom is white American. Mm-hmm. Was that something that – you were conscious of or other people made you conscious of? Just how does that shape a person, if, if at all? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I actually don't think I was particularly conscious of it until yeah. I sort of made my way into yeah. the industry a little yeah. bit. Um, the schools that I grew up going to were always very diverse and a lot of Filipino friends growing up. But uh, yeah, it, it wasn't until I, I sort of started making music and, and being more front-facing that girls would be like, oh, wow, it's so nice to see, like, Asian representation in music. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I I, I, I am that. Um, so, yeah, it didn't come till later, I suppose. Now, was music a big part of your, you know, life growing up? Was there, were your parents into it? You know, where, what, what, was, what were you listening to? Yeah, I mean, music was a huge part of my life growing up. I, I can't ever remember a time where I wasn't obsessed with it or where I didn't write songs even. I, I was just writing songs, you know, since I was like five years old. My mom has like old home videos of me just like babbling. And there's this video that I, I watched recently about um, where I, I was writing a song about being lost in the grocery store, which is a very <laughs> five-year-old issue to have. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it, it was always a huge part of my life. And um, I did, you know, musical theater in school and I was in the choir. My parents uh, really listened to a lot of alternative rock and um, I remember falling in love with that uh, when I was maybe 12 or 13 or so. And um, that's definitely a big influence on me, um, as well as just female singer-songwriters. Like, I I remember um, I got a record player for Christmas one year. My grandma gave it to me. And so my mom and I would go to the thrift store and we'd find little records to, you know, put on my record yeah. player. And um, one of the records, she was like, oh, you'd really love this, was Tapestry by Carole King. Yeah. And I remember hearing that record and, like, life just kind of changed yes. after that. Um, so I'd always really revered those sort of female singer-songwriters. And I think I read, like, was 90s stuff particularly big for you? Like I, I, Alanis Morissette, yeah, people like that. Yeah. yeah, Alanis Morissette and No Doubt and The White Stripes and The Smashing Pumpkins, like bands like that I just, um, yeah, was so obsessed with in my in my teenagehood and still am now. Nice. <laughs> now, they're, you know, prepping for this, I try to read everything that's out there and I recognize that sometimes things are inaccurate, but I was wondering, is it true that you have, you even I guess as a child had maybe lost some of your, Hearing, it? yeah, because that makes it even more amazing that you're so gifted at music, right? Because that's gotta <laughs> that's gotta be unusual. Uh, yeah, it is kind of unusual. I have like half deaf in my left ear. Wow. Um, never never knew it until like kindergarten or so when they were doing the tests on all the kids and they're like, oh, you're a little you you're a little hard of hearing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting. One of my friends, um, this is great photographer Petra Collins, and and um, she has really bad vision, and so we always joke that like I make music <laughs> because I have bad hearing, and she takes photos because she has bad vision. It's like we can't like we were like so impaired that we try to control like what we actually consume. Um, so I you know I don't know maybe that's part of my psyche. Nice. nice. <laughs> well, what came first? Was it the desire to make music or the desire to act? Because I, you mentioned that you started at an early age and what I was reading is like talent shows and after school, like there was, I think a grocery store opening, right? (laughs) So like what, where was this coming from and what was it, was it just a little of everything or were you particularly gravitating towards acting or singing or one or, you know, Mm -hmm. something else? Yeah. I always loved music so much. Um, 
funny enough, the reason that I actually got into acting is because I had this singing teacher who was really lovely and um, I would sing all these songs and I'd just sing them with such passion and fervor. And my singing teacher was like, oh, you know, you should maybe do acting lessons. Like you really love like expressing yourself while you sing. So the singing kind of always came first. And, um, you know, I was on set when I was, you know, 14 or 15. And I just remember being so excited to go home so I could sit at my piano and, and write songs. Um, so it's always been my first love. And I, I, I love acting too for, for totally different reasons. Um, but, um, yeah, writing music has, has always been, um, been first in my heart. And you, I mean, I've, I've read you say basically that there's, often, maybe with the exception being writing a song for a movie, totally different things, right? Because I guess singing, you're pouring your heart and soul out and acting, you have to do that for somebody else. That's just a whole different ballgame, right? Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. In some ways, I feel like my experience acting growing up has really helped me in in, um, my career now. I mean, for starters, I think when you're working on a set that young, you really are taught professionalism and work ethic and it's just ingrained in you. And I'm so really grateful for those lessons. But um, I think it taught me to kind of never be ashamed of feeling big emotions. I've never felt like I I needed to make myself smaller or censor myself because I just grew up where that was so, it was such an environment that fostered that sort of um, emotion. And so I think that that sort of helps me be brave in my songwriting, yeah. maybe. I, I don't know. And, he, and also, I would think listening to your songs that it's it feels like you, it's, it's almost like an actor's additional like sugar on top or something where like you're not... You, there's a little extra snarl or there's something <laughs> when you're singing. Like, I guess it can, the skills could probably bleed into each other. Yeah. You know, it's so funny is um, my producer, Dan, who I made my last two records with, yeah. if he's not getting a vocal take that he really likes, he'll turn his camera on on his iPhone and film me. And suddenly I'll like do a take that's super emotional oh and perfect. God. I think it's just like, um, I don't know, uh, just in my bones, you know, this is the actor girl in me just has to have the camera on. <laughs> well, and particularly I, I'm thinking, and obviously we'll chronologically, we'll get to it more in depth, but just the, this song for the Hunger Games, it, it, that one was the one that particularly I was thinking, listening to it. It's like, and again, I guess it's because you are writing maybe for a specific scenario that's, it's not coming from you. So it is more like acting, but it feels like, you know, like this, this is a mis- you know mischievous character. Somebody's saying, I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting things, but it just it is interesting how these bleed into each other. Yeah, I mean, I, it was uh, writing that song for the Hunger Games was such a cool experience because I got to put myself in another character's position while writing the song. So it, it is sort of like acting; it's character work for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that was so much fun. I write lots of my songs from a very like diaristic place. Yeah. And when you sit down to start an album that's full of diaristic songs, it's sort of like the world is your oyster. There's just so much that you can do. And sometimes it's a little overwhelming. But um, having these parameters to work in as an artist are sometimes really inspiring. You yeah. know, it's nice to not have every color on the palette and, you know, as big of a canvas as you want. It's like sometimes it makes your brain work differently to have um, sort of restrictions. Yeah. So it was a really awesome experience. I'm lucky that I got to do it. Nice. Well, in terms of acting, it seems like it almost didn't happen because what I was reading was that these early auditions maybe were not quite panning out. <laughs> Did you have a conversation about potentially stopping? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's so crazy. It was so long ago. I can't believe I was, I was probably like 11 years old yeah. doing all of this, but, um, 
my parents are so not stage parents whatsoever. I was always me being like, I need to go to these auditions. Like, I really want to book this role. They were so hands-off and so zero pressure, which is nice. But I just remember one, maybe September or something, my mom being like, okay, well, we should just try until like Christmas. And if nothing happens till Christmas, um, then, you know, we'll, we'll do something else. You can just do school and you love school. It'll be fine. I was like, okay, fine. And, you know, lo and behold, as the story always works, you get something on like December 24th right. or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it's And that very, was the uh, American Girl, the first like lead role, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. I did an American Girl Dom movie when I was 12 years old. There you go. It's very fun. <laughs> now that seems to have, I don't know if it was at all connected, but like maybe it's only a year later, I think, when you get your um, first Disney production. And forgive me if I do not pronounce it correctly, but I think it's Bizarre Vark, yep, right? you got it. <laughs> so this is what your this was a big part of your life, 2016, 2019. And it actually was for that that you guys moved to L.A.? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we moved, took the two hour drive up and, and moved here. Um, and I, I learned guitar actually for the um, the show. My character had to play yeah. guitar. So that turned out to be very fruitful as well. It's yes. a skill I use yes. all the time now. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of the start of my my working girl era. <laughs> well, like moving to LA, was that, and that I assume it's your whole family, mm-hmm. taking it, which I forget, do you have siblings? No siblings. No, just so, me. so yeah, so your parents there. and you are. You know, that's it's a big change in life, right? Like that you're all in at that point. Sometimes people I've talked to when they've made, you know, move from wherever to L.A., it's like initially it's sort of like a, a hedging it. So they go to like the Oakwood apartments or something. Oh, yeah, the Oakwood. Was that what you did? You guys do it or you were here? No, I we we moved to an apartment that wasn't the Oakwood, but I've heard so <laughs> many stories about that. That's so funny. That's like yeah. conjuring up old memories. Um, <laughs> yeah, but my, my parents are really, really supportive. And, and I, I like thank them to this day for making that sacrifice for me. But um, yeah, I mean, everything changed then. I think, you know, even beyond moving to a new place, I, you know, got out of school and started being homeschooled and, right. you know, just spent my time around a lot of people that were a lot older than me all the time. And that certainly um, affected me in my life. And I think it made me feel comfortable being alone. Yeah. And I think that made me probably, that probably was good for my creativity. Yeah. Now, since that was the first, but not the last of that sort of Disney Channel era, I got to ask, like, how did that come about? Is that just a regular another audition or did they see, you know, American Girl and say, we like this person? Like, how did that come about? Oh, man, I can't remember too specifically. I think it was just a regular old audition. Yeah. I just walked in with my little sides and did my thing. <laughs> and fate had its way. So as you you mentioned earlier, I guess it was while you were working on that show that you started really writing songs on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember what inspired you to do that for the first time? Was there something that happened? Some, like, you know, just because obviously songwriting has now in some ways surpassed the acting as your primary thing. So I just wonder what led it to enter the picture. It's a good question. Um I don't know. I think I really, really started taking it seriously around 14 or 15. And I think, um, you know, I was sort of alone on these sets and 14 or 15, you have big emotions. There's lots of angst going on. And I think I I needed some place to put that and I needed to have some medium that helped me feel understood. Um, That sounds so cliche, but it's so it's so true. And especially when you're when you're that young, it's just like you're talking to a friend. 
Yeah, I was, I was so dramatic. I remember sitting at my piano in my room and just like crying. But I was just like, I needed it. I need to get it out. Well, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes of yours that I came across prepping for this was, quote, I literally wrote breakup songs before I'd ever held a boy's hand <laughs> or even remotely dated someone, close quote. So you had your genre from the beginning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how like that's so innate in us sometimes yeah. <laughs> i was writing like these devastating heartbreak songs never had my first kiss <laughs> or I, I remember this first song that i wrote on piano i was probably like nine years old and there was this like feminist song about how i don't need a man i'm like what <laughs> like what kind of sexism were you enduring at like right. nine years old i don't know maybe i will i, I don't know that's hilarious it's just funny <laughs> so w- going from bizarre vark in 2016 into the next thing which would be i'm going to just take a big breath before I say this. <laughs> High School Musical, the musical, the series. Yes. Um, where it's a hard name. It's a lot. Back. <laughs> you know, right? Hard title. It's true. Um, you think Disney wants to, you know, make it simple, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but what? Okay, so that's got to have felt like uh, even bigger deal, I imagine. Had, was that another audition? Um. Yeah, it was another audition, and um, yeah, I I, I remember going in and, and doing chemistry reads. And I remember singing for the audition because it's a big singing yeah. music show, obviously. I mean, it's in the name. And um, I remember that being really exciting for me at the time. So the guy who cast you, I believe, is Tim Federley. Yeah. And he says that he didn't know that you were as passionate or talented about singing at the outset, right? Apparently, like, you ended up writing this song for, what was it, season one's fourth episode. Mm-hmm. But how did that—do you remember how that even came about? This is the song that was probably the first one of yours that people heard knowing that you could sing, and it it uh, goes on the Billboard Hot 100. I mean, like, it was—this is back in 2020, before any albums, before anything. You're on this show, and and all I want is this first song. How does how did it come about? Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, um, I mean, I am very grateful for Tim. I think he's given me— so many amazing opportunities. I don't think I'd be where I am right now without that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's so true. I, I think when I got on to High School Musical, I was writing all these songs, but I was so shy and I just keep them to myself. And I think going on that show and having music be such a big part of it kind of emboldened me to be more open with it. And I, I remember I posted a song on my Instagram. I, I forget what the song even was or how it went, um, but I, I posted on my Instagram and, and Tim really liked it. And um, they were doing like pitch sessions, trying to write a song for this episode. And I guess they referenced the song that I put on my Instagram. And so Tim was like, well, why don't we just have Olivia write it? Like if we're trying to make a song that sounds like Olivia wrote it, like let's just do it. And for the life of me, don't know why he took a chance on a super green 16 year old like that. But um, yeah, so I wrote that song, All I Want, and did really well. I think TikTok had just started becoming a thing when that song came out. So it was one of the first songs to sort of get traction on TikTok, which is like a brand new thing at the yeah. time. We're like, music on TikTok? Wow, <laughs> like now that's our whole world. But um, yeah, so uh, that's how I got my record deal and everything sort of happened off of that one song. So I'm very grateful for it. All I want is love that lasts is all I want to Is it possible that the song that he saw you put up on your Instagram was an early version of Happier? 
Ooh, that might be right. I think there was a few. I, I, actually, the version of Happier that's on my Instagram is how I found my producer, Dan. Oh, Dan actually Dan. saw that video and was like, oh, I really like her and sent me a DM. So he came, What which came first? The um, deal that you signed be, sort of shortly after All I Want or Dan? Like, I wondered if it was the record label that suggested you guys work together or you're saying he reached out, but had you already had a, a deal in place? Yeah, I had a deal in place and I was doing sessions with other people, um, but I think... I met him on this very, oh, wait, man. I think that I had like a deal like set up, but I, I met him on this very fateful day. It was the last day before the world shut down oh, for COVID. Yeah. And I remember I went into Interscope and like met everyone. I think I knew I was going to sign there, but I, I went into Interscope and met everyone. And then right after that, I went to Dan's studio and like played him all of my demos on a little guitar. And so I think that was like one of the most important days of my career. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just so funny where a little Instagram DM can take you. Totally. And, I, and I'm wondering, <laughs> like, so this, let's, Dan is obviously a big part of what's going to come in the next part we talk about. So like, I'm sh probably, you get a lot of random DMs. What made you say that this guy is somebody I would like to even explore the possibility of working with? Maybe you can tell people a little bit about, like, he does have his own background in music, but was that something you knew? Like, what did you know about this guy? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know much. I knew that he made um, my friend Conan Gray's album. I really liked that album. I was obsessed with it at the time. I mean, as I am still. Yeah. But um, so I was a fan of him for that. And I think I was following him because I was just a fan of his work. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's really incredible. And he he was in a emo band yes. <laughs> growing up. And uh, so I think our tastes are very similar in certain types <laughs> of music. And he'll he'll definitely send me so many references that I you know really resonate with. So it's a it's a good match. Now. Many people have come out of Disney World, mm -hmm. not the place. Not <laughs> Disney, Disney World. Yes. Um, <laughs> In Disney Florida. Channel, yeah. right? um, and, you know, had some degree of a music career, like maybe certainly not at the level that yours has gone, but people have had some of them, but most of them not. But what seems to have happened almost always was that they sign with the Disney label, which I think is Hollywood Records. And mm -hmm. as a result, they can't necessarily it's very managed and there's no swearing there's no let's just say fame fucker would not have been possible <laughs> yeah so like sure. uh how did you you seem to have figured out maybe in the aftermath of all i want that you know there's an alternative to just doing it through the through the disney pipeline mm -hmm. and also the other thing which is kind of even more amazing from what i understand if it's correct that you new to like kind of fight to keep your masters, mm -hmm. which is not something that too many people do or get or whatever. So those two big decisions like to to go with to go with a label outside of the pipeline and then also to keep the masters. What what went into those decisions? Yeah. I mean, I just think I've been so incredibly lucky. I've really had such the privilege of of having people work with me who are really actually looking out for my best interests. Um, and, uh, yeah, so didn't have to sign. I, I could sign to whatever label I wanted to. I had that carved out of my Disney deal and, um, getting my master's. So th yeah, it, it's just, um, I've always just wanted to 
in every aspect of business, I've just always wanted to um, forge a path for myself that will never infringe upon any of my creative decisions. I've always wanted to make every business decision that will allow me to do whatever the hell I want with my music. Yeah. Um, so that's always been my main prerogative, you know, besides money or any of that stuff. Um, so I feel very fortunate that people around me have been so um, accepting and, and, and um, uh, you know, have let me do what I want to do for so long. That's great. <laughs> so you mentioned that you sign your, or I think you sign your record deal and start working with Dan, like just before the, the world goes into yeah. chaos. So how did that work then? Because you essentially then made that what would become the way the world discovered you as driver's license and then sour, but that all was made during lockdown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when lockdown started, I made a promise with myself that I would try to write a song every single day because I'm like, well, I'm not going to set anymore. You know, I got to have something to do. And uh, so I wrote a song like every day for like six months or so. And it was such a good exercise for me as a songwriter. I think I was really starting to like find my pace um, as a, as a you know, a writer. Um, and Dan and I were like, hey, you know, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just, Dan's like, I'm just hanging out with my wife. And I'm like, I'm just hanging out with my parents. So like, I feel like it's safe for us to come and work in the studio. Um, so yeah, those are, those are really magical days. And I think I found out so much about myself and about um, the music that I, I liked writing through those, those studio days with him. I hope I can tee up some questions about specific songs because I think it gives a little window into your creative decision-making process and stuff like that. So, I mean, if I can do that, the first one obviously has to be driver's license, which is the first one that anyone heard of you beyond all I want. And this comes out January 8th, 2021. I'm just going to, for our listeners, note when it came out, Billboard calls it, quote, a brilliantly detailed tearjerker, close quote. The New York Times called it razor sharp, damningly intimate songwriting and one of the great singles of the 2020s. Debuts at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, partly because what like we were talking about TikTok just now right. has. Um, and so you at that point, 17 years and 338 days old, mm -hmm. the youngest solo artist to debut at number one on the Hot 100, eight weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and new record for Spotify streams for a debut single by a female artist. Unbelievable. Just all this stuff. And yet, I wonder what first gave you the idea to do that song. And if you ever would have imagined I, I, that it could take off even in a fraction of the degree that that did. Yeah, absolutely not is the short <laughs> answer. It's insane thinking about it. Um I mean, I was just so heartbroken at the time. I was 17 going through my first heartbreak, and I was literally just writing songs to survive and, like, feel better. Yeah, I, I wrote that song, like, one morning after driving around through my neighborhood, after literally just getting my driver's yeah. license. And um, I remember feeling like it was really special, though. I remember... I don't know. I think sometimes when you write a song, sometimes it feels like it's just coming through you. And it doesn't happen very often. It's very rare, but when it happens, you're like, get super excited. It's really special. And I remember that being one of those moments. And I was really excited. And I remember I walked into Dan's studio a few days later and I said, Dan, I think I just wrote the best song I've ever written. <laughs> um, he's like, okay. And so I played it for him and we wrote the bridge together and kind of fixed things up. And um, yeah. Yeah. 
For the next week, let's say, like, can you just give me a little idea of what, how your life changed in that week? I think I didn't fully realize, like, how much my life was going to change after that song. I was just like, wow, people really like it. I'm like, <laughs> billboard charts? What's the billboard charts? Like, I was kind of just, like, learning about all of this stuff. Right. And I was, yeah, I was taking my finals. I was a senior in high school. The only thing that changed is that people started, like, sending me flowers and stuff. I was like, oh, that's nice, you know. But And it was lockdown, so you couldn't really go out into the real world and see it. You, I couldn't play a show. I couldn't, you know, go meet people who were listening to the song. So it was very insular in a way that I think was actually really beneficial for my mental health because I think that would have been really overwhelming. If I got the full brunt of it, you know, and even with that, I think you were seems like you were smart enough to know or to realize for yourself. And I think it was then maybe it was when the full album came out a few months later. But like you basically got out of social media, right? Hmm. Was that after driver's license or the full album? Yeah, I think it was after driver's license. I just like deleted my TikTok and Instagram and all the people posted for me or I'd re-download it to post and then get back off. But what was yeah. the reason? I think I like knew myself and I knew that I would get in my head if I was make I was finishing up making sour at the time. And I think if I if I was on social media and could see everyone's opinions of me all the time, I think I would have made a record that was pandering to them or something like that. Not not exactly what I wanted to make. But yeah, I'm proud of my little seventeen year old self for doing that. Yeah. It's a tough, tough thing. <laughs> now you were also, I guess, at this point, beginning to go back to work on High School Musical, the musical, the series. You go back to work and suddenly you're like, you're the biggest thing in music. Was that, did, was that weird? Did they treat you differently? I mean, it was not, it was a, like a week later you're back at work, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I People were really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, to me, I didn't feel different and no one really treated me different. I think that I didn't fully realize the breadth of that song. I didn't realize how... Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know. I was just like, it's just another day. It's just a song that I really love. Wow, cool. People like it. I don't know. I it, it sounds funny to say now, but at the time, I just didn't really grasp it all. I don't think. Well, so the other two, I believe, singles that came out before the full album were "Deja Vu" and "Good for You." Mm. And so "Deja Vu" is April first, twenty twenty one. "Good for You" is May fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Just because these are also obviously so important in your repertoire. And, and in fact, we should note that with these three, the three that we've talked about here, you're the first artist in history to have their first two. And in fact, their first three in the top 10 of the Hot 100. Uh, first debut album to score two number one debuts on the Hot 100, Driver's License and Good For You. So it, it, if anyone thought that like Driver's License was a was a fluke, that quickly <laughs> put that to, to rest. But can we, I guess, let me start by asking you, why is the album that they were ultimately all part of, why is it called Sour? Mm. Yeah. Um, I really love four-letter words. I mean, obviously. <laughs> right. I love an explicit <laughs> word, too. Right, right. Uh, but I, I think I was trying to write a song called Sour for a long time about, like, 
yeah, like milk gone sour, like a relationship or something yeah. like that. And it was just like a bad song, but I was like, sour's good though. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It just felt like angsty and like brokenhearted, really? which is what I was feeling at the time. <laughs> and when you and Dance started putting that whole album together, was there, do you sit down and say like, hey, I sort of like, this is going to be the theme of the album. It's, it's, a, it's primarily about heartbreak. I mean, there are uh, like one or two exceptions where it's not about that, but mm -hmm. I just want, like, is it just sort of you write songs and then they turn out to have some things in common? Or do you say, I want to write songs to a specific kind of theme for the whole album? Uh, yeah, I think at that point in my career, I was just writing songs just to get through life. They yeah. were all just to personally help. I, I think even writing them, I didn't even think that they were even going to come out, which I think is maybe sort of the beauty of some of those songs. There's like an innocence to them. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember not being happy that it was a breakup album, though. I was really like dead set. I'm like, we have to put a love song on there, Dan. Let's put a love song. And I was just nowhere even close to being in love. So that obviously didn't work out. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, did we, I, I forget if I quoted this earlier, but I think it's hilarious where, you know, people are like, why do you write so many breakup songs and or, or heartbreak songs? And you're like, what do you want me to write about? Income taxes? <laughs> I know. I'm like, why are you listening to all the heartbreak right, exactly, songs? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I guess specifically, can we, can we, and well, the other thing that many of these songs have in common, and I think you noted this and a lot of other people noted it, are these, these are like dealing with emotions that many times it's like sort of made like frowned upon for a girl to express anger or jealousy or spite or sadness or things that you like, you know, you embraced here. It's like, why, and why shouldn't you? But with a, I guess, do you have anything you wanted to say about that? Because I had read you, you said that, you know, at least noted that that's actually less common than people might think and kind of, yeah. I guess, is punk in a way, right? Yeah. I think on a personal level, I've always felt more comfortable showing sides of my personality in my songwriting, you know, sides of myself like guilt and shame and jealousy and anger, like all of these feelings that I talk about a lot in my music um, that I try not to like express in my daily day-to-day -day life, maybe for good reason. I'd be bad <laughs> if I was just like sh ashamed all the time in right. my regular life. But um, I think that's sort of the beauty of songwriting is that it can help you access those sort of hard to articulate emotions and give them some somewhere to go, yeah. you know, just as a songwriter and also as a listener. And you were saying about good for you at one point, it's like, I, I probably wouldn't necessarily say that to somebody's face, but, yeah. it's, right. <laughs> but it's that you can, you can still get it out in a different way. Completely. Writing songs is just like, Getting shit off your yeah. chest. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> Now, deja vu, uh, is there anything we, you know, I guess the people, a lot of people remarked about how specific some of the songwriting is where you can make it feel universal, but it's still without, without compromising on like things that sometimes it feels like people are pandering. It's like, we're going to just give you like to have those specific things about like Uptown Girl and Billy Joel <laughs> and all this stuff. Like, yeah. I think that was kind of a sign early on that, that that is like a hallmark of your songwriting it's it's good to be very specific and still appealing to a lot of people thanks yeah I try I mean 
I love specificity in songwriting. I think all of my heroes are really good at um, using specifics to get their message across. And uh, so, yeah, it's always been something that I've really tried to achieve. So thank you for saying that. Of course. (laughs) So when you're gonna tell her that we did that too, she thinks it's special, but it's all reused. That was our place. I found it first. I made the jokes you tell to her when she's with you. With this, with Sour, which, again, I'm sorry to read to you, but again, for our listeners, just the num- these stats are insane. Sour, 52 non-consecutive weeks in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 for albums. Uh, Spotify's most streamed album of 2021. And then we get, you know, four times platinum, and then we get to the Grammys, which your first <laughs> Grammys, your second one is coming up. Um, but le- can, can I just ask how you process, you get the Grammy nominations, seven nominations, one in each of the big four categories, which is something only 12 other people had ever had. And the mm-hmm. big four are album of the year, record of the year, song of the year, best new artist. You end up winning three, including best new artist. Just that kind of, not only the the kind of being there at the Grammys, but the fact that that's as much as anything, I guess, um, an indication of how the music business that you're now entering, like, feels about you, that's got to have been a kind of a important thing. Yeah. That was one of the craziest days of my life. I um, I had always followed the Grammys from a very young age, really? too. My mom and I would watch. Grammys usually happen in February, and I always said, February is my favorite month, first because of the Grammys, and second because it's my birthday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I loved it, and my mom and I would always like make predictions of what, what we thought was going to win Song of the Year, and so um, it was just so fun to even just go like yeah, as yeah. just a fan of music. Had you um, ever gone? Because sometimes people can buy tickets or whatever. No, I'd never gone, but I, I, I loved going to the Grammy Museum and downtown LA. I would go all the time. And when I was a kid, I used to live near there. And, um, (laughs) my mom has a funny story of, um, taking me there when I was maybe 14 or 15 or something. And I told her, I'm like, mom, one day I'm going to win a Grammy. And she remembers thinking to herself, like, okay, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But she was like, okay, I believe in you, Olivia. So, you know, I I maybe did did her proud on that one. (laughs) So that night where you, I mean, best new artist is probably the one that, I don't know, would that be the one that if you had to say you wanted one the most, was that? Yeah. I mean, it was just so exciting. It's so exciting to even like be in the running for something like that. It just is so cool to be, you know, included in, in that community of musicians. You just sit in the Grammys and you look around and it's like, my God, Joni Mitchell's over there, right. and Brandi Carlisle's over there, and all these people that you just grow up being so inspired by. It it just it gives you chills. And now they all knew who you were, right? Like jo- you talked to Joni Mitchell, right? Oh my God, yeah. She said she liked my dress. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so then comes this period, which I actually recently had on the podcast, somebody who I know you did our, you were nice enough to do our roundtable with, and that's Dua Lipa, oh, who yeah. you guys are the two like, breakouts of lockdown and you both had this next thing which is like all right have a great first album everybody loves it and now comes the big question like what do you do with the second do you kind of double down on what worked the first time and people loved or do you take this opportunity to kind of like take a gamble and show that you can do other things and uh but what if that doesn't work out i guess just take me into your mindset where 
on the one hand, your life has just, I think I would imagine, changed a lot uh, in a good way and maybe some complicated ways. But like you also imagine probably pretty soon start thinking like, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was incredibly daunting to start out writing guts. I had so many voices in my head and there was so much pressure and um there were lots of days where I'd walk in the studio and me and Dan, we we jokingly called it, we called it the dread. <laughs> we're like, I can see the dread in your eyes, like producing that song, I can see the dread, you're writing that verse, I can see the dread in your eyes. Um, so it, it was a really challenging experience for me as a songwriter to, to kind of try to tune out all that noise and just try to make something that inspired me because at the core of all creativity, that's where it should come from. It shouldn't come from, you know, trying to make a song that you think is going to do well on the charts and also that never actually does well on the charts if you just try to make something like that, I think. Um, But uh, yeah, so it was was a lesson, I think, in in discipline and perseverance for me, discipline and just showing up every day and sitting at the piano, even if you feel really overwhelmed and scared. It's just like showing up and, um, you know, sharpening your skills as a a musician or a songwriter, yeah. Now, in terms of like material that you were going to draw upon to write these you know, songs for the next, these 12 songs for the next album, like you went into the first album writing about, it's not like you were unknown, but it was a very different level of being known going into the second one. And I, I guess a lot of this, particularly Vampire, but maybe others are about how things that were, that may have happened, I guess, because life was very different right Mm -hmm. and your experience like so i guess i just wonder when after the first album did you even you did you have some time to like go experience life and was that uh you know what's that like where it's suddenly um, people are probably behaving very differently around you yeah i definitely did experience a lot of life i mean i think the albums were two years apart so and also two very formative years for me. I made Sour when I was 17, 18, and I made Guts when I was 19, 20. And I I feel like I'm a completely different girl than I was back then. So lots of personal growth. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I did talk about maybe how my life has changed in regards to success or, you know, public sort of attention. But I don't know. I, I like to think that if you boil any of those songs down, they're about betrayal or, or heartbreak or anger, all these things that are very universal. And so I think if you just try to, you know, concentrate a feeling into just the most essential parts, that's sort of what I tried to achieve. But yeah, it is in the environment, I guess, of, of my life. Yeah. And, and I wondered also, maybe it's me again projecting and maybe it's not true, but with Guts, it feels like the sound of the songs you've you've moved more towards like all right i'm gonna get into rock more than i did with the first or something like that and w- again is that just sort of you're writing the songs that you feel like writing and then you put them together and that's an album or do you say i want to do an album that's more rock than the last one yeah i think i wanted to do something more rock i think i had, i'd always loved rock music like we were talking about before i loved it um but i never quite knew how it fit into my voice and my style and my style of songwriting. And I think we were just starting to figure that out um, towards the end of the sour process. Like we added good for you and, and brutal like last yeah. um, in the, in the, you know, track listing. And so I think I just wanted to expand upon it more on this record. And it was so much fun. I like, 
I'm really excited to play all those songs live and yeah, yeah, they they feel very much like me. Now, all of them were very well received, but I think particularly maybe Vampire. So I'd love to ask you about that one if I can. I mean, this one debuts at number one, as happens with the passage of time, kind of, you know, other things come along and then it comes back to number one, so which doesn't really happen. And so I just the fact that people are connecting with it, it's about I think it seems like, um, again, heartbreak maybe in the same way that the first one was, except that you're acknowledging like there are aspects of that that might have to do with being a better known person at that point. Right. Sure. Yeah. I think it was about betrayal and it's it's a very angry song to me but I think that it's also about me sort of taking responsibility for putting myself in in those positions I think that was a big theme on this record is growing up and realizing that you're not always the perfect victim in every situation (laughs) sometimes you are but you know most of the times not um so I think it was just me maturing and, and realizing the part that I had in in you know all of these situations that I was writing about and um yeah I think Vampire was an example of that. I've made some real big mistakes. Just stylistically, again, I'm just kind of curious about how do you set out with that song and say, like, all right, we're going to start maybe quieter and build to what's mm-hmm. basically like people call it like a rock op- operetta or opera or whatever, where it really explodes. Like, or do you just kind of like kind of, I guess, at the most basic level, do the words come first or does do the music? Uh, yeah, I wrote an early version of that song by myself on the piano. And I wrote the bloodsucker, fame fucker. And that was the part that Dan was like, oh, yeah, that's good. And so we kind of, I wrote like the verse and the chorus and we kind of fixed it up together and um, wrote the song on piano to begin with. And the production took so long. God bless Dan. He was the most patient man in the world because I would just go crazy. I really wanted a song. I really wanted a song like Come On Eileen where it gets faster and then like it's like the tempo is all over the place. And so if you listen to the song, it gets faster towards the end. Um, But I, oh my God, we were stressed over the half of a BPM and like, oh, this voicing of this chord isn't right. And we, it was really a labor of love. So um, that one took a while, but I really loved loved the way it turned out. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Now, Teenage Dream, which seems to maybe be about like what you were talking about a moment ago, like how do you follow Sour and among Mm -hmm. other things. But like this is one that uh, very, very different like sound and genre of of music. And I know you – I think you've said that's one of your personal favorites of the ones you've you've produced. Why is – what's what's it about that one? Yeah, that was the first song that we wrote that made it on to the record – I wrote that song when I was in the studio and I was experiencing what we call the dread. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just felt, I mean, I, I was 19 years old and I'm like, wait, is all my best work like behind me? Which is a crazy thing to think when you're 19 years old, you know, your whole life is ahead of you, like the song says. Right. Um, but uh, I think it just succinctly captured not only my fear of making a sophomore record, but my fear in just growing up in general. It's, a, it's you know, for the girls who like 
cry on their birthdays. You know, it's it's the the line that's my favorite is, they all say that it gets better the more you grow. But what if I don't? Right. Like I remember writing that and being like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. And it just so it feels nice to have your anxieties and fears put into a song. It feels like more manageable when you can, you know, listen to it and be like, that's exactly how I feel. It makes everything kind of feel smaller. Yeah. Your whole life ahead of you, you're only 19. But I fear that they already got all the best parts of me. And I'm sorry that I couldn't always be your teenage dream. They all say that it gets better, it gets better than. The last of the of the songs from that one that I have to bring up, and I, I think you may have said this is your favorite. If you have one, I could be wrong, but it's certainly a great one. Is All American Bitch? Yeah. Which, uh, so title comes from Joni. Speaking of Joni Mitchell, right, the White Album. But this goes again, like the somebody was using the word, like it starts out angelic and then it just goes. You go like nuts, <laughs> and uh, and it's so great. And I just wonder anything you can shed light on that one about yeah that one's my favorite on the record I really love it um I have always been fascinated with this sort of duality of of being a woman and feeling all this rage but also you know feeling like you're in this box and you have to be classy and gracious and you know never complain and all of this stuff I feel like that was always a struggle that I was pushing against um when I was younger. And so I, it's just always been at the top of my mind and I always wanted to write a song about it. And, um, in this song, I feel like I kind of address that. And yeah, it's very dynamic. Like you said, like the verses are really small and sweet and the choruses are super enraged. Um, and it's just, it's just really fun. And I think, um, yeah, it just, it just captured something that I've been feeling for a while. So that's always a, a nice so feeling as a songwriter. Yeah. I feel for you every little issue. I know just what you need. Okay, so this brings us to a project, I guess an undertaking that was really different than anything you'd done before as far as I know, which is being asked and agreeing to write a song for a movie mm -hmm. where we started to talk a little bit earlier, like obviously it's inherently different, but maybe you can talk about like, how is this first presented to you? It's like, is it, you know, we would like a song period, or is it, we would like a song for this specific moment in the movie. We would like this specific kind of a song, or is it like anything you give us, we'd be thrilled with. <laughs> so like, how, how was it first presented to you? Yeah. Someone just asked me, they're like, do you like the Hunger Games? And I'm like, of course I like the Hunger Games, <laughs> duh. Um, and so like, oh, you should you should watch it and see if you're, you know, inspired. They'd love a song for it. And I was so honored um, to watch the movie and um, really resonated with the main character, Lucy Gray. I think she's a really interesting, fascinating, complex character. And um, so after watching that, I, I did, a f I think I did a few iterations of, of the song that ended up coming out. Um, but it was so much fun to kind of challenge myself as a songwriter to do something like that. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit at the, the round table. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just so nice to 
be able to kind of, it feels like collaborative. It's, you know, someone gives you the character and the plot and you just kind of inject your own personal feeling into it and paint with your colors. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was so much fun and I, I feel really honored that I got to do it. And did you know where they were going to use it? I imagine specifically like where it would be used in the film? No, I didn't know. But, um, the film is very, there's a lot of like these like really folky, beautiful country songs. And so that was also super inspiring to me. All of the music that was already, um, dispersed throughout the film. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And I, I think you had said specifically for, for the song that you put together, Can't Catch Me Now, that there was a a scene, I guess, clearly, regardless of where they were going to use your song, but there was a scene that made you think that this would be the the kind of the lyrics for a song mm-hmm. you were going to write. What was the scene? Yeah. Well, if you haven't watched the Hunger Games movie, don't listen to what I'm about to say right now. Turn off the podcast. <laughs> right. um, but it's the it's scene where... Um, Lucy finally leaves. She just, like, disappears. And Coriolanus is, like, looking into the sky and, like, shooting. And there's all these mocking jays around, like, um, uh, in her voice, like, speaking words that she said. Um, And I was just so—it was just so fulfilling to watch her finally, like— finally like kind of disobey him and stray from the pack and and break away. I I, I was really excited to see her kind of have some, I don't know, to me it was like spite to the kind of like resentment towards this person who who wasn't always great. Um, So yeah, that was just really interesting to me. And, but there was always still like this mystery about her, which I think was reflected in the song. Now the, and I think you were talking about this overhead shot of like birds and all of that, that really, um, once you said, you know, you've agreed to do this song. How long did it kind of take to come together? Is it something that just poured out or was it a real process? I think Dan and I wrote it. We wrote like the, the chorus one day and then came back to it. We're like, oh, that was pretty good and wrote the verses. But yeah, it was it, it was just a real fun challenge. And it was just so fun to, you know, sing from another person's perspective. It's not every day that I get to do that. So yeah. it's a good time. And it's interesting because um, Rachel Zegler, I don't know how much if did you guys even meet until the premiere or something or did you? Yeah, we had actually. I, I randomly met her in the bathroom at the Grammys. <laughs> it was like some dingy bathroom. We were like, hey, I know you. And I'm yeah. like, I know you. Right. And she was singing, I think. She, yes, she sang did. a beautiful song. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy for her. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah, this for all of you guys, this movie comes out and there were big expectations, but this like exceeded people's projections and everything. And I just wonder... Um, you know, do you have a theory of your own about why particularly young people are so into the franchise, but especially this this latest movie of theirs? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just think that The Hunger Games is so great at portraying wonderful, complex female characters. And I think that that's something that we all are, like, craving. Um, just a great concept. Great books. Yeah. Great movies. Great soundtracks. True. I love all the soundtracks. I think they're great. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for everyone that was a part of it. So well-deserved. You see my face in every place, but you can't catch me now. Gruating grass, the months will pass. You'll feel it all around. I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere, but you can't catch me now. You can't catch me now 
So for the last minute or two, these are just sort of like assorted random big picture Fun. stuff. Um, who are you listening to the most right now? Ooh. Okay, my, my Spotify raps just came yes, out. So okay. um, I think my number one artist was um, Chapel Roan. She's this, um, she just put out her first album and Dan, actually my producer, produced it and it's amazing. So I've listened to a lot of her and I think number two is like Simon and Garfunkel. Wow. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to. Uh, <laughs> now I know that you are uh, going on your first arena tour because you had done very intimate stuff after Sour. Now for... For Guts, you're going to go all over starting February 23rd. What are you most excited about or maybe most curious about about that level of a production? Yeah, I'm so stoked. I think it's going to be so much fun to play those kind of rock songs in an arena, too. I'm so excited to feel that energy. I'm so excited to go places that I haven't been before. I'm really excited to go to the Philippines. I've never been. Oh, wow. So that's going to be fun. Um yeah, it's just a great time. And I love my band. I love an all-girl band, and they're so wonderful and such great musicians. And um, it's going to be fun. Do you know who's opening for you, or does it change from place to place? Yeah, um, there's a few. Chapel is opening. Uh-huh. Um, the Breeders are going to open for me, which is really cool. Pink Panthers is going to open for me. Um, yeah, a few others. So it's, it's going to be fun. What are you most excited about for the Grammys, which happened just a few weeks before that on February 4th? So you're going in again with six nominations, a bunch of big ones. Um, just so you've now done it once. You know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about for that night? <sighs> wow. I, I get butterflies in my stomach even just answering this question. Um, it's a very nerve wracking night. <laughs> I'm, I just think it's so fun to get to see all the songs that get performed, it's just like you get to see some of the greatest artists perform some of the greatest songs. And um, just an honor to be in the audience and witness all of that. So very excited. Yes. Have you already, I'm sure they've asked you to perform. Do you know if you will, what you will be, like any of that? I don't know if I will yet. I haven't had the conversation, but I mean, I'd be honored. If you could do one of your songs, if it was up to you, and I'm sure it is up to you, but like, would it be Vampire, I imagine? Ooh, yeah, probably. Yeah. That's a fun one to sing. Okay. Favorite line of a song that you've ever written? I'm going to say a crazy answer. It's actually a bonus track that's on Guts. There's a song called Scared of My Guitar that maybe it's now only just exists. You can, if, if you buy a vinyl, yeah. it can be on the vinyl. Um, but um, maybe it only kind of exists on a TikTok little snippets. But there's this line that says, how could I ever trade something that's good for what's right? And um, I think that was a big thesis for what I was going going through um, in my life these past few years. You know, things were good and things were happening. And I had so many people around me, but lots of things just weren't right for me and weren't in alignment with who I was as a person. And so writing that line was very... Um, kind of it kind of made things clearer for me yeah now just a quick follow-up i heard their contenders for that answer might have also been something from the grudge oh yeah yeah i mean um to take strength to forgive but i don't feel strong why oh i couldn't think of the lyric yeah it takes strength to forgive but i don't feel strong um i was listening to the smiths on my way to the studio yes and there's a song i forget which song um where he goes it takes strength to be gentle and kind. And I remember being really angry listening to that song and being like, what if I don't want to be gentle and kind? Um, and so I wrote, yeah, it takes strength to forgive, but I don't feel strong. And then just one other um, potential contender, I think. Was there something in Enough For You? that? You oh, know? yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It's such a sad song. I listen to it back and I'm like, oh, you were so heartbroken. <laughs> I really loved writing the line like, um, uh, someday I'll be everything to somebody else. I remember writing that when I was that age being like, yeah, got it. <laughs> if the world was on fire and you could only save one of your songs, which song would it be? Oh, my God. That's so hard. <sighs> Maybe driver's license. Or I really love All American Bitch too. Yes. So one on each album. Okay, that's it's fair. My caveat. We can compromise. Yeah. <laughs> um, you I I heard that you had taken a class at USC. Oh yeah. What inspired you to do that? And is that something you might do more of? I hope so. I had never really gone to brick and mortar school. I mean, I, I I stopped going to regular school when I was 12 years old. And I always had a desire to do it. And always had a desire to like learn in a classroom and, you know, learn about all these things that I was really interested in in an environment that was a little more structured. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I went to USC for one class and I took a poetry class and it was wonderful and I had a great professor and I wrote a bunch of poems and learned so much. And I, I actually turned one of the poems that I wrote in the class into the song Lacey that's on Guts. Yeah. And were kids cool? Yeah. Kids were super cool in yeah. that class. They were so sweet. I actually, um, have you watched Legally Blonde? Of course. I had very a very Legally Blonde first day there. I actually walked into the wrong classroom and <laughs> sat there and was like, oh, I don't remember this on the reading list. Like, this is strange. Maybe they're just all, like, really advanced. Um, but And then I walked into the, the right classroom and I realized that everyone had um, iPads. And I was like, oh, iPads. Like, that's what kids do these days. I just had, like, a little <laughs> notepad. And I was, everyone was, like, typing on their iPads. And I was writing down little notes with my pen. Um, but, yeah, everyone was really sweet and welcoming. That's nice. <laughs> um, are you interested in continuing to act while making music or is acting now in the past? I'm open for whatever. I think acting's so fun. I, it's so nice to be, I think, a part of a community that's, like, collaborative and creative like that. With music, sometimes it's it's very um, individualistic. You know, I like, I'm like writing my songs and making a lot of the decisions by myself. And um, that's wonderful and so much fun. But sometimes it's nice to kind of, you know, have some people to lean on. So sure. Yeah. Are you open to doing other songs for films? Yeah, I think that'd be so fun. I had such a great time writing this Hunger Games one. And it's just such a nice challenge as a songwriter. It really stretches you. And lastly, if you go to karaoke. Oh. What is your go-to karaoke song? Okay, really hard one. If you want to be really, really advanced, you do Wuthering Heights by um, Kate Bush. <laughs> um, Bohemian Rhapsody is always fun if you're with a group of people because then you can each do the little part. But usually, um, without fail, it's Dancing Queen. Nice. Great, yeah. great, great. Never never steers you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank and, uh, you. You're so great at your job. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in.